Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's me, the skillet on top of your stove. Just letting you know that if you want to make this dish you're cooking taste as good as possible, you want to make sure that while you're cooking, you listen to an episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, there's new Potterless merch available. We have digital bundles that have desktop wallpapers, phone wallpapers, ringtones, text tones, so many good things. There is Bundle On, which centers on your favorite catchphrases from Potterless like Wizard On, So Good the Worst, Violently Purple, the Potterless logo, and so on. And then there's definitely the Ludo Bundle, which has all of your Ludo Bagman-related needs. And there is the Bundle Bundle, where you can get both bundles and save 20%. If you want to see these bundles and get them on your phone slash computer immediately, head on over to PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch now. Also, this is the first episode of Potterless in May. Here at Potterless, each month we take a dollar for every member of our team over at Patreon.com slash Potterless and donate it to a different charity. At the time of recording, we have 945 patrons, meaning that we'll be giving $945 to the New York City Food Bank. My home city is getting hit pretty pretty hard by COVID-19 and there's a lot of people really in need. Food banks are some of the best ways to help people out. It's a great way to help on a local level and I thought it would be especially good right now to help the people in the city because America's not doing so hot and New York's doing the least hot of all of the cities. So I just want to help out where I can. If you want to learn more about this charity, you can go to foodbanknyc.org or if you want to donate to one near you, just Google your city name and food bank and you'll probably find one. And finally, the new podcast I'm working on, Meddling Adults, has an official release date. On May 13th, we will be launching the show. I'm incredibly excited about it in case you haven't heard before. Mentally Adults is a new podcast that I'm working on where I host a game show for charity where two people go head to head to try to solve children's mysteries from the likes of Encyclopedia Brown, Nancy Drew, Scooby-Doo, etc. If you enjoyed me being painfully wrong about stuff like Ludo Bagman and Hermione splitting into three, you are going to love this show. We've recorded a bunch of episodes already and they're all hilarious. You can follow the show now on Twitter and Instagram at Meddling Adults where we'll be posting more information such as when the trailer is live. But now you can see the art and listen to the theme song and more and more stuff is coming coming out. I'm super excited about it, so get ready. May 13th, meddling adults. And speaking of being really excited about stuff, we've new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Catch Savage, Berea Reynolds, Cassandra Seberon, Rebecca Jane Tarn, Holy Donut Boy, Carrie Bull, Charlotte Ventura, Georgia Osborne, Jordan Wilson, Rosanna Hignett, Alexandra Polshofer, Grace Mitchell, Annika Terminen, Leanne Kenny, Haley Nelson, Emily Fries, Cara Badgley, Bryn Parliament, Rachel Segrew, Vicky, Rosalind Harris, Kenzie Marucci, Darcy Clairebro, Punk Fish, Willem Fromm, Che Costley, Rika, and the return of Margaret Downs. A name correction for Brenna Berry. Shout out to Brett K, Zoe Sponson, Caitlin, and Stephanie Lennox, who all upgraded their pledges. And a huge shout out to our new producer-level patrons, L. Kringle, Jennifer Terzian, Crystal Pollard, and the return of Love Cash Longer. They join the ranks of Vicky, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rosemarie, Maria, Romina, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Ali, Amelia, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Haley, Moster, Alex, John, Noel, Liz, Brandon, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Ivor, Summer, Andrea, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addie, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Alicia, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Eileen, Keegan, Mr. Folk, Maya, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Elizabeth, Michael, Tiffany, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Samantha, Aurora, Marcus, Courtney, Marie, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, Julie, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Brianna, McKenna, Heather, Brad, Thomas, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Chrissy, Jarl, Haley, Ashley, Peta, Sophie, Jenna, Nicole, Callahan, Kylo, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Bill, Victoria, Elizabeth, Britt, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, T Run, Madison, Kyle, Tonks, GK, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, David, Maria, Matt, Okamahime, Yimki, Bony Pony, Jacob, Kelsey, Taco, Blowfish, Rike, Taylor, Rochelle, Megan, Alicia, Riley, Kyle, Stin, Laurel, Rossanne, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Richard, Sandra, Craig, Andrin, Demi, Kelsey, Michael, Danae, Michelle, Callista, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never forget to put their removable toothbrush head on their electric toothbrush before running it underwater. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus episodes, director's commentary, exclusive live streams, exclusive merchandise, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 124 of Potterless, covering the first part of Act 3 of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, guest starring my best bud, Johnny Frolicstein. Hello 
internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who didn't read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, he watched all the movies, and now he's consuming the outside content, including a very bad play. My name is Mike Schuber, I'm that grown man, and I am here joined today by my best friend, the best man in my wedding, and someone that is ready to discuss the third portion of Cursed Child, the plot. It's Johnny Frolicstein. Johnny, how's it going? It's going great. I can't wait to talk about this dumpster fire. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's been quite a while since we've had you on the show, and I can't think of a better reintroduction than uh, just a classic Shubes and Johnny dunk fest, you know? <laughs> I wish either one of us could dunk. <laughs> if only, if only. We can just on, you know, nine-foot rims. A little Fisher-Price. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very true. So to put things into perspective, what is your experience with Cursed Child in terms of reading it, seeing it, when it came out, etc.? Yeah, so I read it in 2016, shortly after it came out. I was on a bike trip when it came out with some other folks, and we didn't really have access to like bookstores or anything like that. We were biking throughout the rural Northeast. And so after the bike trip, the first thing that I did was go to Barnes & Noble, buy it, go to Chipotle, and then I read the whole thing in Chipotle. <laughs> um <laughs> And then I closed it and I said, wow, I don't know if I would have done that again. Oh. <laughs> um, I don't like this play. I am on record as not liking this play. Mm -hmm. And I think Act 3 is a lot of the reason why I don't like this play. So this <laughs> this ought to be good. You were a very intentional choice for this part of the plot recap. <laughs> discussion episodes of Potterless because it's the true yin and the yang of how we're going to round this out. Promo for the first two episodes, she wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I still think that we tried to analyze it as critically, but also give it the praise it deserves in the few places it does. Then the last episode is with Leah from Mischief Management, and she is very pro-Cursed Child. So in order to balance that out, I really needed to dunk on this act because it's the most bonkers and bananas portion of the entire play. Dude, it is scary. There's so much to unpack. Oh, my. not even just the plot, but there's these like little throwaway lines that happen in this act that you're just like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Well, <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Let's not waste any more time. When we last left our heroes, it was just Scorpius because Albus is dead and it's in the bad <laughs> Voldemort alternate reality. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so Act 3, Scene 1 is in the Hogwarts headmistress's office, but this time it's Umbridge and not McGonagall. Not fun. It's very gross that she's in charge. I don't like it at all. What if somebody bad was the headmaster? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Scorpius is in there. She tells Scorpius that he has head boy potential, citing his pureblood status. <laughs> his natural leadership, and his athletic prowess, because apparently he's a Quidditch star in this reality. So, okay, so two things. One, athleticism and head boy potential. Never have we gotten any evidence that that's helpful. Percy Weasley was head boy. Second, she says, I've seen you on the Quidditch pits. There's rarely a snitch you don't catch. And as you and I have discussed, being able to catch a snitch does not mean that you're athletic. That's true. I mean, maybe the wizarding definition of athletic is very different because, to my knowledge, they have just the one sport. So if you are an athlete, you're a Quidditch player. So in order to be athletic you are just good at Quidditch. Mm. <laughs> I think it's just different uses of the word. Okay. <laughs> we, we both have our axes to grind on Quidditch requiring no athleticism or real like cross-training apart from just flying more. Just very specific. Really good forearms and uh, core muscles and you're good. And th inner thigh strength. Right. Really powerful inner thighs. You can crush a watermelon between them. <laughs> But Umbridge goes on to say, quote, I've positively glowed about you in dispatches to the augury. So this is the first instance of mentioning the augury, and we learn later, spoiler alert, if people haven't read this, that it's Delphi, a.k.a. daughter of Voldemort. Ugh. When I read this for the first time since 2016, so when I was reading this for recording, mm -hmm. I saw the word augury, and I wrote down what the fuck is an augury, because I have... Genuinely no idea, and I still really don't. So I do because I did Potterless Live at LeakyCon Dallas last year about the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them spinoff book. And Augury is a bird. It's basically the sad phoenix, pretty much. <laughs> it's a bird that 
has a sad song that it sings, and people back in olden times thought that the song foretold death, but actually it just foretells rain. I believe it is green and black, so it really is just an emo bird. Okay, that's actually pretty sick. Yeah, especially for a villain to be named that, because it is basically the evil phoenix. I'm into that. I don't know why that wasn't like inserted into the play so that I could know that. And I guess if you saw the play, maybe you would know because she has the tattoo or whatever. But they never really explain it. Aside from saying that she has the tattoo, they never say, here's what an augury is because we never run into an augury in the main books. I don't think. (laughs) No, we definitely don't. This is something that Promo and I were talking about is just in this story, they alternate between thinking that the reader is incredibly unintelligent and knows nothing or they know everything. And in this instance, I guess they're just assuming that everyone read the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them spinoff book before watching the play slash reading the play. That's a really good point that either they're assuming you're like a Harry Potter super fan or you don't know shit. It's baffling and I just don't know who these people had in mind as their audience when they wrote this and made it a play because it tends to go back and forth. Definitely people who enjoy fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) So Umbridge goes on to say, our work together flushing out the more dilettante students has made the school a safer, purer place. I will say they are doing a good job of keeping Umbridge true to form in being incredibly gross and skin crawling. Yeah, and at this point, the word augury and dilettante have been used uh, in (laughs) back-to-back sentences, and I'm just fucking lost. (laughs) I do think that they did a good job of keeping some of the characters the same. I think they did a good job with making McGonagall her sassy self, and I think that they've kept Umbridge pretty true to form here as well. No, totally, totally. So Umbridge says to Scorpius that in the past three days, he has asked too many questions about Harry Potter. So it is a bit bonkers that we have just fast forwarded where Scorpius is in a world he is not familiar with, which seems like the worst mental state to be in, basically being indirectly responsible for the death of his best friend and his best friend's dad in a way. And he's just living in that for three days when we pick (laughs) up seeing him. It sucks. Also, can we talk about how it was the three days since she found him since Voldemort Day? Yeah, what a bad (laughs) name for... What is Voldemort Day the celebration of? I don't know. It sounds like if somebody was making fun of time travel and they were like, oh, be careful going back in time. You might come back if there's Voldemort Day. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounds like. It's such a strange name for the holiday because Voldemort... Lord of the Theatrics would have made it something much more dramatic. Even if it came out cheesy, if he tried to make it sound very cool and intimidating and he didn't, at least that is more effort than just calling it Voldemort Day. What do you say on Voldemort Day? Do you say Happy Voldemort Day? That sounds weird. <laughs> do you wear little Voldemort hats? What, what is this? What is this? <laughs> I have no idea. But something that they do say in this Voldemort alternate reality is they say, for Voldemort and Valor, which I guess is this version's Hail Hitler, and they put their arms in... I, I think they describe it, it kind of sounded like a Wakanda X from Black Panther. I know this play predates that movie coming out at least, but I think they do that and then they say for Voldemort and Valor, which is just a really wordy, syllable-heavy Hail Hitler. Was there a Hitler day? Did, did, was that a thing in Nazi Germany? Was there like a, like a day for him? I, thankfully, not well-versed in this stuff, but I would not put it past Hitler to make a holiday after himself and then just name it after himself. Hitler Day. Well, I mean, he did really poorly in art school, right? So he can't be very creative. Mm -hmm. So he wouldn't come up with a good name. Bingo. (laughs) That's the origin of Voldemort Day. (laughs) Heard it here first. (laughs) So then we go on to Act 2, Scene 2, which takes place on the Hogwarts grounds. And here is a new development that we've learned in this plot that I completely forgot until I read this. Uh, Scorpius is now called the Scorpion King. Oh, do you... Are you, are you referring to the 2002 American historical fantasy action film directed by Chuck Russell uh, that's part of the Mummy Cinematic Universe and starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the Scorpion King? Oh. Is that is that what this is? Is this the same Scorpion King that got a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes with only a 38% audience score? That's the one. Somehow a stupid-ass movie like The Scorpion King did better with critics than it did with its audience, which means it didn't even do its job. It wasn't even, like, fun. Uh, Scorpion King, I get his name is Scorpius, but it doesn't seem like the coolest nickname. So I did a little bit of research on the Scorpion King, and I was trying to figure out 
where this could have come from. And I think there was like some really, really obscure, like ancient Egypt figure who was like purportedly known as the Scorpion King. Okay. But like, this had to have just like been somewhere like incepted in whoever wrote this fucking play's brain, right? The fact that this movie existed. And then they just like, oh, we could call him the Scorpion King. And they had no idea that they were like referencing this, but (laughs) I don't know. What's strange about it is that it's so similar to his actual name. So I get the connection. Oh, his name is Scorpius. Let's call him Scorpion King. I don't know where you get the king from. I guess if you're saying that it was pulling from ancient Egypt, but that feels very odd for wizards to pull out. But I don't know. Scorpius is enough of a unique name. Usually I have found that when people have very unique names, you don't really give them a nickname. Totally. I I think truly that somewhere in the writer's room, somebody had the name of this movie like deep in their subconscious and just like (laughs) threw it out. Like (laughs) look at athletes, people that have very unique names Even if they have a nickname, you don't really call it that. Like, sure, Giannis has the Greek freak and LeBron has King James. But because their names are not common, we just call them LeBron and Giannis because they're not really getting confused with anybody else. Right. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't walk up to Giannis and be like, hello, the Greek freak. (laughs) Like, they're like, hey, Scorpion King. So weird. Yeah. Carl Malone, we call the mailman because Carl Malone is a very boring name. And here's an amazing transition because you know who's back? Carl Jenkins. (laughs) (laughs) Call me an automated moving device from the year 2006 because I'm a Segway baby. (laughs) (laughs) Carl Jenkins, resident Hogwarts student. (laughs) Carl Jenkins. We have already trashed this name on previous episodes, but I'm happy to give you the floor if you want to trash it again, that there is a character in Harry Potter named Carl Jenkins. I doubt I have anything original to say, but in the same (laughs) universe as Ernie McMillan and as Gilderoy Lockhart, we have Carl Jenkins. We have Carl Jenkins and Polly Chapman. And now Polly Chapman in this scene, I don't know if anyone is familiar with Twilight. I am not particularly familiar with it, except for there was some YouTube series of people reading Twilight. So I know a little bit. I know there is a chapter in Twilight where they have a Sadie Hawkins dance. I think that's the one where girls ask the guys, right? Mm -hmm. So in Twilight, there is a chapter where this happens. But what people do is all of these boys that want to go to the dance with Bella ask Bella, hey, are you going to ask me to the dance? Which ruins the whole purpose of the Sadie Hawkins dance. (laughs) So Polly Chapman here is pulling the same move because I guess whatever ball this is, is a boys ask the girls ball, which Polly, you could just ask him. It's 20 whatever this story takes place in year. Just ask him. But she does the move and says, are you going to ask me to the ball? So now Paula Chapman has the hots for Scorpius. Scorpion King. Oh, the ball is called the blood ball. So how do you go from Voldemort Day to the blood ball? Both (laughs) awfully named in completely opposite ends of the spectrum. The blood ball. It sounds like a colloquialism for a medical condition. (laughs) I guess it's blood because of blood purity, but it just doesn't sound like an appealing event to go to. Hey, do you want to go to the blood ball? Actually, I'd rather not. Yeah, I don't want to go. I think I'm going to pass on the blood ball. Honestly, the Yule ball doesn't even sound good. (laughs) At least the Yule ball sounds fancy. It does sound fancy. But the blood ball? One other thing I want to talk about in this scene is one of the like annotations, which says Scorpius is high-fived. It's painful. He takes it. (laughs) First of all, Scorpius, like not being able to handle like dude, bro, like high fives is amazing. And second of all, high-fived, it's painful. He takes it is like, you could adopt that as a life motto. (laughs) It's painful. He takes it. That is everyone dealing with (laughs) COVID-19. It's painful. They take it. Yep. (laughs) We also learn that apparently there are mudbloods in the dungeons, and this was Scorpius's idea. Yeah, that's crazy. It gets really dark really fast. It truly, truly does. And then there's something that I think is very strange. Polly, I believe, says, oh, Potter, in the context of saying, oh, crap, or oh, darn, or oh, shit. And this is a... How do you say the opposite of a parallel? A perpendicular? Sure. This is a perpendicular. (laughs) No. 
This is an intersection. <laughs> it's a mirror flip of earlier in the play, Ron and I think some other characters have said thank Dumbledore instead of thank God, which I also think is strange. But is there any phrase in modern colloquialisms where people say, oh, crap, but instead of crap, they say someone's name in history that we don't like? Well, actually, Mike, we say, oh, shit, because there was a really huge asshole named Dan Shit. Boo, I knew (laughs) once you said, well, I knew this was coming. (laughs) So sorry. So I just think that's a weird forced in thing that people use O Potter as slang. Like Potter has become synonymous with poop. And I also made a note about the replacing God with Dumbledore thing, because that is arguably weirder and more uncomfortable. I don't get that at all. Very strange. Not a fan. Yeah, super weird. So we move on to act three, scene three, which is in the ministry in the office of the head of law enforcement. And this was Harry's job, but now he's dead. So it's Draco's now. Draco is the chief of police. I feel like there's a lot going on here with like, the odds of these people all ending up in these roles. How many wizards are there to choose from? And how are these like convenient little plot things happening in this alternate universe? I don't get it. (laughs) It's incredibly convenient. This version of Draco at first appears to be more evil. He's not full-fledged unhinged in killing muggles, but he does apparently bribe the muggle prime minister at the direction of the augury. And what's interesting about this alternate reality is that people keep talking about the augury as if she is high in power, but they never truly explain what Voldemort's status is. Do they? No, that's a good point. We don't know if he like passed from old age or or what's going on. Yeah. I don't know if it's just since Voldemort has had a kid and now he has the augury, if it's a Avon Barksdale Stringer Bell from The Wire situation where, uh. <laughs> right, really great reference that the older listeners of Potterless are going to get and all the college-age kids are going to go, what is this? Idris Elba was Stringer Bell in The Wire. Everyone go watch it. But maybe this is the situation where Voldemort is still in power, but he has the augury doing all of his dirty work and checking in on people so that he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. Basically... The augury is taking care of all the little tasks and keeping people in check so that Voldemort doesn't have to be bothered, like a managerial role. But they never clarify what Voldemort's status is, which I find strange. And in the annotation, they say that there's augury flags, like, hanging in Draco's office, which sort of implies that, like, she's the figurehead now. Yeah, so what happened to Voldemort? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, a great question. It is bonkers that it's just never addressed. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's so strange. Then there's a little bit of an argument between Scorpius and Draco about how Astoria wouldn't have liked this behavior out of Draco. And Draco in this conversation reveals that Lucius never liked her, but Draco defied him by marrying her. And one note that I have, in this conversation, Scorpius calls Lucius grandfather, which is the most terrifying but on-brand thing because I called my grandpa Pop-Pop and my grandma Grammy I know that usually people have cute little two-syllable nicknames because that's what they said as babies. Do you have any of these fun names for your grandparents? Not really. It's sort of just grandma and grandpa, but that's hilarious because that's pure Malfoy. Grandfather. (laughs) Even grandma and grandpa, but grandfather? Grandfather. (laughs) Salutes him. It's so professional. Also, Lucius Malfoy is a goner by this point because grandfather didn't like her very much. Past tense. Yeah. And Scorpius, what, he's like 13 at this point, maybe? 14? I don't know. He's in his third year, so he's 13. How do you know? Because, uh, (laughs) depends on his birthday, but I've been made fun of enough for getting the ages wrong (laughs) that in book one, you're 11, in book two, you're 12, in book three, you're 13. So yeah, but like, I mean, Lucius was not that old when, anyways, Mm -hmm. he's gone. But Draco which I think is confusing, starts to strangely enjoy this new Scorpius. Because this new Scorpius, which just means Scorpius is acting like the Scorpius we actually know, not this alternate reality, evil Scorpius. And it's starting to remind Draco of Astoria. He supports the change, but he wants Scorpius to do so quietly so it doesn't raise any questions. Which seems strange to counteract when we first encounter Draco in this scene. He seems to be even more evil. But by the end of the conversation, he is nice Draco. You're super right. The turn is really weird. And I want to talk about Scorpius coming into existence in this timeline. Because, okay, so think about like the third Harry Potter movie when 
Harry and Hermione walk into the hospital wing at the end, and the ones that were by Ron's bedside table just disappear. So was there a whole other Scorpius living a life where he was like a huge asshole? And did he just like wisp away? Like what the, what? There is so much to figure out. I am not sure because the Time Turner situation is different from the book series to this. Yep. And it might even be done differently in the movies and the books. I don't remember if that was just a movie thing or if that's also what happened in the books. But I know in the books, people seem to teleport Remember, there was the thing where Hermione was on the stairs and then she was at the bottom of the stairs. But regardless, did this other person disappear? We don't know where he was when he snapped back to reality. Up there goes gravity. He could have been in the middle of a party and then he's just gone. And he has a whole different identity, right? Like whoever that was effectively ceases to exist because now our Scorpius is in this timeline which means because he's there, this other one just poof. It's so weird. It's also strange because the evil Scorpius before good Scorpius came back, if he was in the presence of any other person, that person would have raised the flag because that person would say, oh yeah, I was hanging out with Scorpius and then he disappeared. And ever since that happened, he's acted like a different (laughs) person. (laughs) Ever since then, he stopped smoking cigarettes and wearing sunglasses. (laughs) (laughs) He hasn't put a kick me sign on anyone in three days. That was his thing. (laughs) (laughs) It gets messy when you think about it too much. So let's just move on to Act 3, Scene 4, which takes place in the Hogwarts library. Scorpius is looking into how Cedric became a Death Eater, which still makes no sense. That is one of the biggest gripes that I have, and I think a lot of people have, is that we're supposed to believe that because Cedric got embarrassed in the Triwizard Tournament that he decided to become a racist? It's literally totally out of character. He's supposed to be this, like, incredibly stand-up guy who's, like, selfless, and we don't really know of any Cedric flaws, I guess, in the book, but, like, so out of left field. It makes no sense. It is so strange. Imagine if LeBron James, when he lost the 2011 NBA Finals to the Dallas Mavs, after that decided, oh, you know what? I'm racist now. Yeah, that's that's like literally it. I'm joining the Nazis. Yeah, it's so bonkers. (sighs) Truly baffling. Oh, pass, Mike. I think you've hit the nail right on the head. This is truly baffling in a bad way. But you know what's baffling in a good way? The deals that I'm about to tell to the listeners in Wingardium Adriosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Shaker and Spoon. Let's say hypothetically that you are finally able to get back to your real reality after screwing up things pretty badly by time traveling. Well, you want to celebrate this momentous occasion, and obviously you're not Scorpius Malfoy because you're underage. You're an adult in this scenario. You want to celebrate. How are you going to do so? You're going to make fancy drinks with Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a delivery service that will send a box directly to your door that helps you make four servings of three different drinks, all using the same alcohol. All you need to do is supply the liquor. They supply everything else. It's very simple, and I really appreciate them in these quarantine times because you've got your same bottles of liquor in the cabinet and you don't want to keep making the same drink over and over again, Shaker and Spoon can help you expand your horizons and try new drinks and find new favorites. And as a Potterless listener, you can get $20 off your first box if you go to, and this is a new link, shakerandspoon.com slash wizard on. The boxes are between $40 and $50, so you're getting about half off here, which is pretty sweet. Head on over to shakerandspoon.com slash wizard on to make some fancy drinks to celebrate you traveling through time and ruining things, but then fixing things today. And now a word from our sponsors who are making it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. These ads are locally inserted, so if you live internationally, you might hear a ad in your language. Don't be surprised. And once these ads are done, we will get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club 
system is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash potter. Listen, wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you want to collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or a Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Our good buddy, Craig Balker <laughs> Jr. <laughs> hey, Craig. Craig Balker Jr. and Carl Jenkins. Dude, Craig Balker Jr., as we find out over the rest of this act, is like the guy who just shows up in a group setting and he's like, hey, guys. And everybody's like, shut up, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or the person in a group text that tries to text something funny and everybody only does the reactions to it. Yeah. No one replies. <laughs> Ha ha. I do appreciate that a junior was finally introduced into the naming convention. I think that's nice. But Craig Balker or Bowker or however you want to say junior, just, oh. Craig Balker Sr. definitely works in financial accounting at the ministry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so Craig Balker Jr. apologizes for not having Scorpius's potions homework done. But he says, oh, Snape just assigns too much homework. I couldn't get it done. They have this interesting back and forth where Balker is legitimately afraid of Scorpius. It's very much the please don't beat me up kind of dynamic. And Scorpius is not sure how to process this information. And then it's like brain blast moment. We get a Scorpius brain blast. What's the Scorpius brain blast? Because I don't have any other Did he say Snape? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's the... uh Wait a second. Snape's not alive. I've never met Snape. How can he teach if he's dead? He's not <laughs> Professor Bins. Unless. <laughs> so we're going to act three, scene five, which is in the Hogwarts potions classroom. Snape is being very guarded, especially after Scorpius brings up him being a spy. Dude, Scorpius, no chill. He goes, no. Severus Snape. This is an honor. That's the first thing he says to him. <laughs> Scorpius has no chill, but also no time for dilly-dallying, and I respect it a lot. Totally. Because when Albus and Scorpius were in the first alternate reality, not the evil one, Albus could not have handled it worse and wouldn't drop it that he was in a different reality and couldn't put anything together properly. Scorpius, on the other hand, yeah, sure, he has this blunder where he says an awkward thing to start Snape, but then immediately is like, hey, dude, you are a spy. I know what's up. Come on. You work with Dumbledore. We've used time turners. Everything's fucked. You're supposed to be dead. We got to fix this. He wastes no time, which I really appreciate. You're right. He's super direct. And he's also super smart about like, what could I know about Snape that I would have no way of knowing except for this explanation? Yeah. Scorpius really handles it well. He's really on top of things. I like him so much. Oh, Scorpius is a winner. We, I'm sure we'll get to the fact that it's absolutely absurd that he and Albus aren't married by now. Mm-hmm. Every Cursed Child episode of Potterus, we have discussed this with every single guest. I figured, and that's excellent. <laughs> Scorpius says that the humiliation turned Cedric into a Death Eater, which makes no sense. Cedric killed Neville, which sets off a chain reaction because Neville was supposed to kill Nagini and so on and so forth. Then, as you mentioned, Scorpius plays the Lily card and the Albus Severus card, and then that's what gets Snape to finally go along with him, and he opens a hatch that leads to a hideout, which brings us to Act 3, Scene 6, which takes place in the campaign room. So Hermione is in there, and she takes offense to Scorpius until Snape vouches for him. Can we just talk about how awful and forced 
the Hermione Snape interactions are. This is like the most fan fictiony part of the whole thing. Yes. Like having like little like jabs at each other. I was an excellent student. You were average. Like there's no way these people who we know from the seven books would talk to each other like this. There's just no way. I think maybe you could make the claim that it's been so much time that we don't know how their relationship has developed. It did still feel forced regardless. And also, why is Hermione so grumpy in the two alternate realities? I don't know. She is so mad about (laughs) everything. No idea why. I mean, this one makes sense. This one makes more sense. The last one did not make sense where she was saying, oh man, I'm a teacher. Like, Yes, of course you are. The only explanation if she's like going full Snape mode because she loved Ron and didn't get to be with Ron. So now she's going (sighs) to bully little kids. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I agree. The dynamic felt strange. And it did feel very fan fiction-y. And that's what a lot of people say is just, this play just reads like a poorly made fan fiction. And I am not an avid fan fiction reader, but my sister is. And she often texts me, oh, I just read this fan fiction and here's the plot synopsis, which I really think is fun. The other day, she texted me one where Ludo Bagman was actually the bad guy (laughs) in a story, which I thought was fantastic. When was that published? (laughs) (laughs) From some of these plot synopses that Megan has told me, they're all better than this. Yeah. They all sound more enticing. Yeah. I'm sure you've talked about this in other episodes, but to mess with time again after <sighs> like acknowledging the mistake of messing with time uh, and to break her own rules. Yes, of course. Exactly. You admit that your rules are bad. Then you've broken them, which... Uh, uh. So Ron enters the room. He tries to threaten Scorpius, but he does so very poorly. Snape again vouches for him, and then we move on to the next scene. So we learn that these three are Dumbledore's army. Strange that they call themselves Dumbledore's Army and not the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Right? Dumbledore's Army, the whole point was like, it was... It was, it was, it was the kids. Yeah. <laughs> so why have they changed the name? It feels like they should be the Order of the Phoenix. I mean, I guess the only thing you could say is like, the Order of the Phoenix lost to the Death Eaters, but may I, I don't know. Yeah, there's no real good reason. I was confused of why the name change happened. Maybe Ron and Hermione outvoted Snape two to one. <laughs> Dang it. Scorpius reveals that Ron and Hermione are married in the right timeline and Snape is dead. So we got to talk about that reveal because it's more fan fiction bullshit. Ron saying, I expect their mother is hot. Uh, it's so cringeworthy because mm-hmm. like he doesn't know that Hermione was the mom that Scorpius was referring to to Ron's children. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I bet she's hot. <laughs> what? Doesn't feel very Ron-esque. I don't think anyone called anyone hot the entire seven book series. And now Ron is like an adult Mm -hmm. and on the run and a part of this like Dumbledore's army. And he's like, oh, I expect their mom's hot. What? I feel like this happens in this play a decent amount. And this is a prime example of a conversation that feels like a textbook conversation between maybe other characters in this type of scenario, but not these characters. Kind of like when Harry and Hermione in the very beginning had the, you gotta do your paperwork conversation. And then Harry and Ginny have the, we're a grumpy married couple conversation a couple times throughout. But this one, Ron is not the type of person to do that. I don't know. Yeah, Ron as a teenager said some stuff, but he never gave me uh, bro vibes. No, not at all. And it's it's just so like, cheesy and hacky. I don't know. There is some really good dialogue. I will give it that. But some of the stuff that comes up, you double take and you're like, what? I would never have seen this in the seven books. Some of the dialogue that is good comes from Snape, but it did rub me the wrong way because it felt like this is an agenda of J.K. Rowling to make us all like Snape more and forget that he was so unlikable in the books. Yeah, it's like good dialogue. It's not particularly Snape. I don't know. It's fan fiction. How very irritating. It's fan fiction. Yeah, the how very irritating is good. I feel like this is movie Snape turned into a written character. That is a good way of putting it. My tinfoil hat is that J.K. Rowling realized she didn't make Snape likable enough in the books until the very end. And it wasn't enough to pay off and make us all forgive the shittiness he did earlier in the series. So in the movies, she worked with Alan Rickman to make him more likable. And now in Cursed Child, she has the chance to make him even more likable so that people are more fond of Snape. This is my secret agenda that I think she has. I think that's entirely reasonable. I was reading a Twitter thread today about all of the things that Snape does in the books that he doesn't do in the movies. And it was like- Oh, the tooth thing. Yeah, there's so much. 
And then they didn't include like any of it in the movies. Mm-hmm. And then they add stuff like him saying shh under the floorboards to Harry. And yeah. All this. yeah. 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 So when Scorpius reveals to Snape that he's dead, Snape asks, how did he die? Scorpius says it was Voldemort. And he says, how very irritating, <laughs> which I think is great. Yeah, it's good. It's such a great line. Hermione says that she's sorry, and then Snape says, well, at least I'm not married to him, which is very good. (laughs) And he points to Ron. He's like, I'm not married to him. Oh, does it say points to Ron? (laughs) Yeah, right before. He he indicates Ron with a flick of his head. At least I'm not married to him. Oh, so I get that. I also, (laughs) my original interpretation was saying, well, at least I'm not married to Voldemort, which like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Was that your other option, man? (laughs) Between those two things? (laughs) Killed by him or married to him? The two genders. Wait, that would imply that he's married to Voldemort in this reality and secretly working with Dumbledore's army. Ah. (laughs) We ship. (laughs) So Scorpius explains how the time turner works and what he and Albus did the other times that they went back. So this new team develops a plan. Hermione is sad that it's going to cost Snape his life, but he says, sometimes costs are made to be born. I didn't just quote Dumbledore, did I? And Scorpius reveals, nope, that was all genuine Severus Snape. So then they go back in time. So I have a question really quickly about Rebel Hermione and the costume she was wearing on stage. Because in my head, she's wearing like a motorcycle vest and like has tattoos and a pixie cut. (laughs) (laughs) It's not full-fledged badass, but she is dressed more rattly. I believe that she had some sort of headscarf situation going on, whereas when she's minister, she has just natural curly hair going on. So she has some sort of headband, headscarf situation going on. And then her clothes are just like a little rattier. You know, it's just all the types of things they dress people in when they're the resistance. It's it's very trademark kind of that. But right. she's not full-fledged tattoo sleeve leather jacket that Rosa wears in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's not that far. Got it. <laughs> so Act 3, Scene 8 is the edge of the Forbidden Forest in 1994. My boy Ludo Bagman is back announcing. Oh, Love it. Still back. funny. Him and Scorpius, the two redeeming things in this story. It's crazy how he ended up being the bad guy finally after all these years for you. <laughs> <laughs> so basically all that happens is Hermione blocks Albus's spell so that he's unable to do the Expelliarmus for the first task, and that's the end of the scene. Things are going off the rails, by the way, because we're, this is like Inception, right? Where it's like uh, yeah. a flashback within a flashback, and we're going to stop the other thing from happening. It's so crazy. It's very <laughs> Back to the Future too, You're so Where right. they have to avoid seeing people as well as their time-traveled versions of themselves. So much happening. Also, Ludo, Ludo Bagman calls Cedric a doggy dynamo, which... Yes, <laughs> he does. Yes, he does. Already strange that he uses this language for a child, but we're just going to move on. <laughs> So Act 3, Scene 9 is the edge of the Forbidden Forest, and they are back. Ron is in pain, and apparently Albus was too when he came back from time traveling. I don't know if this is supposed to signify anything, but they make note of it. I didn't really understand if I was just missing something here. No, I don't don't really get it. Yeah. I'm sure someone will tell us what's up, but I don't get it. it. They never clarify why it happened or what the significance is, just that Ron's hurt. Past Mike, surprisingly, you are correct that they never clarify or tell you the significance of the pain that Ron is sustaining. But past Johnny, you are also correct in that someone's going to tell you what's up, and it's me. Hey, editing Mike on the premises to let you know that past Mike forgot about Albus's arm breaking. That is the thing that they were talking about. But regardless, they never explain why Albus's arm broke in the first place or why Ron doesn't feel well, why it's the two of them specifically, what's going on. And if If this matters, it never gets explained and it doesn't have any significance except for Ron kind of not being able to run away from the Dementors, I guess. I don't understand. It's very confusing. I don't want to think about it anymore. Anyway, back to the podcast. One of the tiny little butterfly effect things from like when they blocked that spell was that Ron ate something bad and he wouldn't have eaten that had they not blocked that smell. So now he's like, his stomach hurts. (laughs) So they're all worried because they're exposed And it's Voldemort world, and the Dementors are after them. So Hermione decides to stay back because they're after her since she's a mudblood. She tells Ron that she loves him and always has and sends them off. But Ron stays back. They kiss, and the Dementors suck their souls out and give Scorpius and Snape more time to run away. I do want to note here that I didn't talk about this effect stuff when I did the play going experience episode with Kelly. This 
legitimately terrifying. Really cool effects, very scary, very chilling. You watch all of the people get their souls sucked out, which is not a pretty experience. Mm -hmm. So Snape and Scorpius get to the lake. There's a little bit of a pep talk from Snape to Scorpius, and then Umbridge approaches. There's a little bit of an Umbridge-Snape duel because she saw Snape with Hermione, so she knows something is up. But Snape sends her flying after she rises in the air and spreads her arms, which they don't really explain. I guess she's just gotten into dark magic? Yeah, that was always the thing about Umbridge, and I think this is kind of a bummer that they included this. But she was always, like, institutional evil, if not, like, explicitly evil, right? Like, she always represented, like, systemic types of issues and evil. Abuse of power was her big thing. Yeah, exactly. And now all of a sudden it's like, nope, she's off the deep end with everybody else. It's like, oh, that's weak. Yeah, I didn't like it because she never really showed any sort of magical prowess with doing spells throughout. She did some basic ones, but nothing truly impressive. So the fact that she's now able to make herself fly in the air, like she's supposed to be some dark sorceress? I don't know. Right, she's a better villain as a not particularly significant witch who's just a bad person in a position of power. Right, I think that makes her more compelling. For sure. So Snape and Scorpius are able to continue. Snape has all of these cheesy lines at the end, which I really didn't like. I was kind of on board with this new Snape. And then he just says all these things like, tell Albus, oh, Albus Severus, I'm proud he bears my name. Now go. Ah, it's just... I didn't like that he ended on just being a huge cheese ball. Because that's not who Snape is. Also, do we think that Scorpius would know that Lily's Patronus was a doe? I feel like Harry probably revealed that. I'm sure Harry went on the Snape was a good guy and he should be remembered being well tour immediately after the Battle of Hogwarts. Uh, And I feel like that detail probably, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I buy that, I buy that. It was such a monumental event that I believe that there would be a lot of information about it in history books of sorts. And I feel like that detail would be there as well. Yeah. So Snape sends Scorpius along with his dope Patronus and Snape also lets the Dementors suck out his soul so that Scorpius can have some more time. This works, it allows Scorpius to go back in time and everything is pretty much back to normal. Albus is back with him after the second time turner and... This is, I I don't want to break my brain, but should there be two Scorpiuses? Uh. Because <laughs> Scorpius went back the second time and undid what they did for task number two. So there was already an Albus and a Scorpius. Now there's another Scorpius and he stops them from doing the embarrassing Cedric thing. So then that Albus and Scorpius go back into the future. And then so does this additional Scorpius. Maybe there was a second Scorpius just watching and he was watching and then he looked at Scorpius's butt and he said, ah, Slytherin's ass. Like how do, <laughs> how do the time turners know to not have duplicate people when you go back to normal? I feel like this is an instance of the rules being broken and not making sense. Oh yeah. No, I mean, the whole thing is off the rails. Yeah. But uh, I don't have you talked about in the other episodes about like the fundamental rule that she broke, how like there's two time travel styles in fantasy and she like has used both now in the series. Not really. I would love for you to go into it. So basically like the two types of time travel you can consider are one where you can go to the past and like change the future and then everything changes from the moment that you went to the past. Like back to the future. Right. Or there's the fixed timeline approach, which is what's used in Harry Potter 3, right? Where it's already determined. Right. And that's why Harry saw himself do the, and so that would imply like, you know, no free will, it's all fate or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she used a fixed timeline in book three and is now using a, no, we can change the future timeline in this is such a bummer for me. So the only thing I can think to justify this is that in order for the fixed timeline to exist, there has to be one go through where it doesn't happen. And maybe in Prisoner of Azkaban, we read the whole series from the perspective of second Harry and Hermione. I don't know, man. This sucks. (laughs) Yeah, right? Well, and it's like the two fundamentally contradict each other. And we've seen that you can't go change the past, right? Buckbeak never died. We learned that. Right. McNair smashed a pumpkin. He didn't smash Buckbeak. Right. And then Harry cast the Patronus. So you're right. It's like it doesn't. I don't know. The two fly in the face of each other. Yeah. Regardless of us trying to figure it out, we can at least say that they are done differently. I guess the only justification you also could give here, 
just trying to play as much devil's advocate as I can, <laughs> is that maybe these different time turners do different time travel because these were different. They look different. They're not a necklace. It's made by Theodore Not Maybe the magic is that these time turners work this way and the other time turners work that way. Maybe yeah. that's it? Yeah, that's, you're right. That is the only thing. That is the only explanation. That's the only way, mm -hmm. but that's still ugly. Yep. So as much as I would love to keep going, we have talked for quite some time, which was expected here. So thank you so much for joining for this portion. We'll cover the rest of the ridiculous events that are about to unfold in the next episode. But if people want to find you on the internet, where can they do so? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Johnny Frawl. I retweet stuff and I tell some jokes that at least I think are funny. And I also think are funny. So if you enjoy our sense of humor, go follow Johnny. If you don't, block don't him. Don't go, yeah. <laughs> Stay as far away as possible. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Johnny, thanks for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next time, as they say, in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, when they celebrate Voldemort Day? <laughs> no, when they celebrate Mike Schubert Day, which I guess will be the holiday. No, sorry. When they celebrate Ludo Bagman Day, <laughs> which definitely needs to be a holiday. Wizard on! during quarantine and you've already baked 12,000 sourdough loaves and you want to do something new like, I don't know, make a podcast? Do you need help making that? Well, guess what? Multitude is here for you. We have a ton of free resources available at multitude.production slash resources. So if you need help starting up a new podcast, go check it out. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary Dodge, Marie Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadanira, Audra Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Grower, Vivian the Owl, Haley Hastings, Moster, Alex Consilver, John Kotker, Noel Beausoleil, Liz Bigelow, Brendan Pickens, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lotta Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lou Frieda, Jay Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Summer Rathel, Andrea Kroc, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Addie, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Eileen Gazesh, Keegan Curran, Mr. Folk, Maya, Flor Sake, Siri Scarsfjord, Georgia Davis, Skyla Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov, Elizabeth Christofferson, Michael David Yordi, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly Otilio, Carrie Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Husser, Samantha Lentz, Aurora Fruhoff, Marco Zapeta, Courtney Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, Julie Walton, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Brianna Jordan, McKenna Tweedy, Heather Langeal, Brad Harding, Thomas Chavara, Brianna Cusimano, Kevin Stewart, Laurie McDonald, Chrissy Tew, Jarl Sviven, Haley Logan, Ashley Enstrom, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Jen and Rose Daub, Nicole Linzer, Callahan and Darius, Kylo the Husky, Leah Reed, Melissa Rab, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Bill Gill, Victoria Colcaperi, Elizabeth Yu, Britt McLean, Becca Spry, Reese Diggin, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, T Run Money, Madison Kyle, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, GK Have It Your Way, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Gerabat, Melanie Durave, David Douglas, Maria, Matt Barger, Okamahina, Yimki Bony Pony, Jacob Rossitano, Kelsey Gillespie, Taco Blowfish, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Rochelle Mobs, Megan Moon, Alicia Chapman, Riley Kittis, Colleen Waters, Stin Devoctor, Laurel Happy, Rossanne Batamana, Erica Butler, Miranda Hurley, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy, Alexandra Harrison, Richard Johnson, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Andrin Kaufman, K.A. Rob, Steve Trulli, Laura, Lior Nahum, Angela Hill, Julia Buzak, Demi Lynn, Kelsey Willis, Michael Beck, Callista Delano, She Who Doesn't Have to Be Named, L. Kringle, Love Cash Longer, Jennifer Terzian, Crystal Pollard, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, audio assistance from Brandon Grugel, and the music is by Bettina Campamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com for bonus content, you can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless, and for merch, including those new digital bundles, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com slash merch. If you want to tell someone about the show, whether it's leaving a review online or reaching out directly saying, hey, you should listen to the show, those both really do help. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as I say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.